I'm glad to be back. Um, I uh, had contracted COVID, I guess. I don't know how you say that. So many people have been avoiding it. We were too, and uh, somehow it found me. And um, we are lucky that Cerise and I both, that our symptoms were not uh, that significant. So last Sunday I missed being here, but I was very grateful that Amanda Pettit was able to step in and, and fill in. And again, all the volunteers for uh, continuing to lead and worship. Um, so I was supposed to start this last week. I'm, I've got to tell you, I'm very, very excited uh, about what God has been sharing with me. And um, so we're going to jump into that uh, today, which uh, reminds me, in a couple of weeks, on the 24th is our first Sunday of Revival. Uh, Jeremiah Bullock, I talked with him just a few days ago, is going to be here on uh, the 24th and then uh, every evening, including that Sunday evening, the 24th, and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday evenings, he's going to be speaking uh, each of those nights. We will, uh, of course, have it online as well as in person, so uh, you can make the choice of which way you want to go with that. Also, the 24th is going to be uh, our new worship pastor, Bruno, is going to be here, and that'll be his first uh, Sunday with us. Um, I told him that uh, there's nothing like just jumping in with both feet, because he's going to He's going to start on that Sunday and then have several days in a row, so he's going to be a pretty busy guy. But uh, be thinking about him. We might have a, a time later where if he needs some help moving something, uh, I'll let everybody know. But uh, that's the 24th. That's two weeks from today. And so we'll pause this series of messages for uh, the revival services. And I always want to make sure that when, and you guys help me with this, when we have a special uh, revival speaker coming, you know, he's not bringing revival to us. And we've said that uh, all the time. It's not his job to bring us revival. It's his job to find us in revival and to give words of encouragement that God has given him. And after my conversations with him, uh, he is on fire. And he is, he is ready to bring it. So I told him, listen, our church is praying for revival. We want revival. We want that fresh infilling of his spirit. And so uh, you guys can be doing that with us. <coughs> so today I want to talk about a movement what is a movement? Um, you know, like you, and especially it seems like this year, or 2020 and now into 21, people are always trying to start a movement. Do you see that? I mean, I see it all the time. People are trying to start it. Um, as I've studied and prayed about this series of messages, I started by thinking that God wanted us to start a movement. And I guess in one sense, that's still true, but also, this really is a movement that he started, Jesus did, over 2,000 years ago. So in one sense, I say, yes, let's start a movement, but maybe the only reason we have to start a movement is because the church, in some ways, has lost its way. Uh, so movements, the movement is defined as actions or activities of a person or a body of persons. Actions or activities of a person or a body of persons. Um, and, and just to remind you, as I go through the notes to, or through the message today, the notes are in the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app. You can also find them in the church's app uh, either way. So a movement is a, a actions or activities as of a person or persons. So I propose today that the church isn't pioneering a movement because that's what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. He pioneered this movement. But it seems to me that when I say the church has lost its way, what I mean is the church has become 
part of the fabric of the culture, if you'll bear with me for just a minute. Um, the church, in some ways, in American culture, is an institution. And, and because it's lost its way, and I'm talking about capital C, the big church, um, we actually are moving into what they call a post-Christian culture. Uh, other places in Europe and Canada uh, have experienced that more than us so far, but that is happening here in the United States, a post-Christian culture. You'll begin to run into people more and more who um, either don't know Jesus or the story of Jesus or uh, are choosing to live like they don't know Jesus. So um, our job, our goal, what we want to do is get people to follow Jesus, right? So if we become part of the fabric of society or part of the culture, I think we are able to do that less uh, effectively because we have to be counterculture, really, to reach people for Jesus. We have to be counterculture. And I know it's, it's, not, it's counterintuitive, to use a word that maybe we've heard a lot. It, it's just uh, it's, it's not what we would think. But I guess if I had to define the way I feel right now is this. God is asking us to join the movement that he has already started. And here's what I get excited about. So God has already started this movement. And I feel like he's pressing on our church specifically now to join this movement. And what's exciting about that is he has been getting us ready for a time, for a period of time, to start or, or to join his movement and then, in a sense, to pioneer that movement in our community or the communities that we live in. And it's exciting because now he feels like, in my estimation and, and my prayer life, I feel like he is telling us now we are ready to join that movement. I don't know what he's talking to other churches about. And maybe as they get ready also, he'll press on them to join this movement and to pioneer that movement that he started in their own communities. But it makes me excited to know that God feels like we're ready, like we're in the place. It's time to go. And as I, as I watch for the last three months, the world around us, well, even the last year, burn down, right? That's what it seems like. It seems like it's just burning down. There's, there's problems and there's, there's uh, COVID and, and then all the uh, finances and the, the world that was going bad with the economies and stuff around that. And then one country blaming another country and this country's having this issue. And then uh, elections and then uh, protests and riots. And man, it's like there's so much that's going on. But I'm here to tell you that I don't feel like it's my job. I don't feel like it's our job to um, stop. Oh man, listen to me before you shut me down, okay? Um, before you quit listening. Let me explain. I don't feel like it's our job to stop the riots. I don't know that it's uh, our job to change the world, my job anyway, on a global scale. My job is to change my neighbor. Now, don't get me wrong. We need to be involved in elections. We need to help uh, elect the right people for our country. I, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is 
if we can focus on changing our neighbor, if I can, and all of you can, and everybody who's watching today can focus on changing your neighbor, then we begin a different kind of movement, right? It's a countercultural movement. It's not a movement that tries to get to the top and then change the whole thing. Uh, it, like a pyramid, if you will, it's a, and this is the Christian life, it's an upside-down pyramid. My job is to be a servant and to love and to change the people in my sphere. And as I do that for them, and they see what this kingdom that we talk about looks like, and I'm going to talk about that more in a minute, then they begin to do the same in their spheres. And they begin to do the same in their spheres. And before you know it, and this is exactly what happened to Jesus and the disciples in the first century church, before you know it, the whole world has changed. In under 300 years, after Jesus, over half of the civilized world was Christians. Why? Because they began by changing their neighbors. They changed the communities they lived in. They changed, and in that way, they did it. Now listen, some people have gifting, and they can make it to have change, an effective change bigger than mine. And that's okay, and that's good, and God has called them to that, and God has gifted them to that, and they can do that. But I'm saying for most of us, this is, this is how I feel that God has, has called us. So he's readied us for a movement. Until now, we've been preparing for this movement. Now in the year 2021, he is telling us, okay, now go. Now it's time. So are you ready? This, this is great news for us. So let's do it. And that's, so this series of messages then is focused on all of that. This is like the introduction to the series. All of this, the, the next several weeks, six weeks in fact, today and then five more, are going to be focused on helping us understand what people of a movement look like. What should, what should we look like? What should we do? What should be our focus so today I'm going to start in, uh, in Luke chapter 15. I want to ask this question. When we have lost something, how do we respond when you've lost something? Imagine when you've lost something. You lost your keys. You lost your money. Do you grieve? Do you mourn? Do you search unceasingly? When we were in college, um, a friend of mine, and this was... I guess this is still a big deal for college students, but a friend of mine had loaned me $100. Well, that's a big deal, right, $100. And uh, I'll never forget, he came, he came to my room one day, and I said, oh, hey, I got, we were talking about the money or whatever, and I said, oh, by the way, and I, I had the $100 bill, and he was at the door, and I was about halfway in my room. I, I wadded it up, and I threw it to him so that he would, you know, instead of him coming to me or whatever, just, hey, here you go, here's your $100. And then, um, uh, like, a later that day, he said, hey, weren't you going to pay me? <laughs> I said, uh, yeah. Don't you remember? I said, here's your $100, wadded it up, threw it to you. He went, oh, no. I think I threw that away. He thought it was a piece of trash. So we went through every trash can on first floor snow barger at the at SNU the dorm and it was like it was miserable we never found the hundred dollars he lost that hundred dollars but the whole point is imagine the desperation of a college student who had lost a hundred dollar bill 
That, like that was a big deal. And, and he grieved over that $100 bill. I'm telling you today, I'm going to cry if I lose $100 this many years later. Here's the twist. When we see people who we know are lost, do we grieve them like I do that $100 bill? Do we mourn them? As people of a movement, we have to see people the way Jesus does and grieve for them in the same way. So Luke chapter 15, verses 8 through 10, this is it. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. <laughs> All right, so, so what's the big deal? Let me back up just a little bit and say, as Christians, we have access to the kingdom of God. And you, we've talked about that. You've heard me talk about that. Who do we know who wouldn't want to be a part of his kingdom if they truly understood what it was? So I want to just for a minute explain to you, talk to you about what the kingdom of God is. All right. So uh, let's, let's talk about the word kingdom first. When I think part of the problem when we talk about the kingdom of God is we don't use that word kingdom very often. It's, it's not something that we understand. Now, in the times that they wrote the Bible, of course, everybody understood kingdoms because that's the way the world was organized. But, but we don't so much. To us, it sounds archaic, as in King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. You know, we, we don't understand kingdom in the same way. So let me explain it to you this way. Everybody has a kingdom, okay? Everybody has a kingdom. It's a sphere where what you say goes, uh, sociologists, which is, was my college degree, sociologists would call it the sphere of your influence, the effective range of your will is the way they would define this. In other words, you have certain control over things in your sphere. Now, early on, people figure out that they all have a kingdom, right? A two-year-old, they don't want you messing with their kingdom or any of the toys inside their kingdom because this is their kingdom. And right away, they're telling you, leave me alone. This is my kingdom. You can't mess with it. We um, pack the whole family into our excursion, and it's a big vehicle, right? They have plenty of room to, to sit around. And even the back seat has a space in between the chairs. There's chairs and a space in between, and then even a seat behind them. Still, still, they find a way to mess with each other's kingdoms. Not sure how it happens. Uh, because there's plenty of space. They shouldn't. This happened just a few days ago. How in the world are you messing with each other's kingdoms? Like, you have to intentionally try to reach over. And so this is what happens. I did it when I was with my sister in our old uh, Ford Granada station wagon. Growing up, I was in a chair and she was in a chair and we draw a line down the middle. This is my kingdom. That's your kingdom, right? You stay on your side. I'm going to stay on my side. No problems. But eventually, you hear, Dad! They're in my kingdom. They're on my side. They're touching me. And then it turns into, <laughs> you guys know where that's going? Because I did it. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. Just as annoying as I could. It, it, and it happened just the other day. No, I'm not. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. No, I'm not. It, it was a foot thing, actually. 
one of them had hit their other one's foot with the thing. So I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. Like, what are you guys doing? That's a kingdom. We all have one. And it's where what we say goes. Driving down the road, then the dad says, hey, guys, this whole thing is my kingdom. <laughs> and if you don't start behaving, uh, there will be punishment in the kingdom. Having a kingdom is a good thing. The problem is that all of our kingdoms are junked up by sin. Jesus is always talking about how hard it is to lead people without having them feel like their kingdoms are being violated. And you guys can understand that, right? And, and so then people begin to use fear or pressure or coercion to appeal to the wrong kind of thing in a person. And all you have to do is look at politics. It's been crazy lately, right? And, and every politician is using these tactics on us, fear or pressure or coercion, to get us to follow them. Will you join my kingdom? I have a nice, pretty blue kingdom. I have a nice, pretty red kingdom. And that's what they do. And, and, and you'll notice that we do the same thing. So what is the kingdom of God then? And that's what Jesus does. He paints this picture of a kingdom. Imagine a place where other kingdoms, people's kingdoms, are not violated. Where the strong don't violate the weak because everybody is made strong in his kingdom. When we get into his kingdom, we are all the same. We talked about this in the series on biblical justice, and we dug into um, even the idea of, of uh, racism and how different races treat each other poorly. But Paul says that we have all been made equal in Christ. And so we all have kingdoms. They're all junked up. Our kingdoms intersect other people's kingdoms to form bigger kingdoms. Jesus calls that conglomeration the kingdom of earth. And in the kingdom of earth, everyone's out for their own agenda. They're all out for their own thing. Just look at some of the TV shows today. It used to be uh, The Real Housewives. Not as big as it used to be, but Real Housewives. Maybe now it's Bachelor. Wait, did I go too far? Sorry, if you're a Bachelor fan, those kingdoms are really messed up. This is the society that Jesus told us to be careful about. But then there's the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And that's a kingdom where everybody's made equal, where everybody's made to feel strong, where the poor and the marginalized and the weak are welcomed in and, and made equal with everybody else, where nobody is despised because of their particular place in this kingdom. That's what Jesus talked about. That's what he came to preach. It's a sphere in where what God says goes, where everything that happens meets with God's approval and his delight, and it's awesome there. Can you imagine living in that place? And when we go to heaven, that's what that place is. That's what that looks like. Most of what Jesus taught is that community. And Jesus figured out that when people realized how awesome it was, they would be willing to do anything to be a part. His kingdom is about the outsiders and the marginalized being invited to the party, not excluded. Everybody has a seat at the lunch table. Nobody's told you can't sit here. Compare that to the kingdom of earth, 
Romans 14 speaks about what you eat and what you drink and, and uh, that you're simply following the rules. But the kingdom of God is not about legislation, but it's about peace and, and joy. The kingdom of earth is about religious stuff and, and trying to appear better than others, trying to climb the ladder. And that kingdom in us is what causes us to sin. Imagine a place where there's no pride, no arrogance, no big shots, where people are always looking out for the little guy, where everybody is celebrated and loved, where nobody does petty or small-minded things, where there is no gossip, where there is no cruelty, where there is no fear. Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God is like, and it's actually happening right now, and it's awesome. You compare that to the kingdom of earth, Things are not so awesome there. Did you know 30,000 children die every day from malnutrition and preventable diseases and drinking water? Every day. Did you know we could fix that? We could fix that and it wouldn't even be that expensive. That's not the way it's supposed to be. So here's Jesus' plan. He said that when people catch what he's up to, they'll be willing to do anything to be a part. And he tells stories like this in this regard, that the kingdom of God is like this. It's like, you remember the story of the man who found a valuable treasure in a field, and he went and buried the treasure, and he sold everything he had so he could buy the field, so he could have the treasure. It was, it was more important to him than everything else in his life. And once you figure out what that is, you will hawk anything you've got. You will beg and, and borrow and steal to get it. You'll do whatever you have to because you have to have it. It's that important. If this is the kingdom of God, we can imagine why God wants us all there. He's desperate to have us join him. And this is where we pick up the story of Luke that we just read the scripture, okay? God is desperate for the lost. He's desperate for the lost. And anything that God is desperate for, we've got to pay attention to. In all three of the stories around Luke, we see Jesus describing the desperation of people who have lost something. If you read before the lost coin, there's the story of the lost sheep, and then after the lost coin, the, the story of the prodigal son. I think several points of emphasis emerge, first of which is desperation. Jesus is desperate. The Father is desperate to retrieve all that he has lost. This year, um, Caden, my nine-year-old son, was a cornerback on his football team. Defensive back, if, if you can imagine. Cornerback. He was the best one, by the way. There were no better cornerbacks than my son. <laughs> So, I will say this, though. Every time that a ball came his way and he did not intercept that ball, football, he cried. <laughs> like, he was desperate to get that ball. You know what I mean? I mean, just desperate for it. And he wanted to intercept the ball. Now, I think his reasons were not kingdom of God related. He, he was thinking how all the glory would be his if he intercepts the ball because um, he'd experienced that before and, you know, he, he loved it. But, like, you could see the desperation in this boy's face because he wanted so badly to intercept the football. <laughs> so just imagine the desperation. 
Jesus is bringing people back to God. If we look at this parable along with the two other parables in Luke, uh, we see a pattern emerging, a point of emphasis. Jesus is bringing all people of all lifestyles back to God. And, I mean, you just look at the people that he brought back. Prostitutes, the immoral, demon-possessed, wealthy tax collectors, uh, alcoholics, people disenchanted with religion. He was, in his time, bringing everybody into his kingdom. The marginalized in his society were finding God in unprecedented ways. They were offered this thing called forgiveness, released of the guilt and the burden of that sin, and then welcomed into a group of like-minded believers. And they all, it didn't matter. Oh, you used to be a prostitute? Cool. We love you. Come on. You were a tax collector? Right on. We got you. Like this is the way that it didn't matter who you were or where you were from. Oh, you vote a Republican? It's cool. You vote a Democrat? No problem. Like everybody was equal and treated the same. And when they imagine that in, in our lives, we all have people who treat us differently based on our status in their eyes. It doesn't happen in the kingdom of God. And people begin to figure this out. This is why in 300 years, everybody was, um, over half of civilized society became Christians. Because as they figure it out and they begin to follow Jesus, and then the next one followed Jesus, and the next one, they loved what was going on. So what about the religious establishment? They had a problem with that. Because Jesus is making friends with these people who are not believers, and they were bring, being brought back to God, and the religious people, this is what they fought him on so often. Th that and uh, the way that he um, handled the Sabbath and dietary law and such. Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, right? All the sinners, they're all there, listen to Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. They muttered, you know, grumbled. We don't like that. So, so what's Jesus saying? The religious of all people should have been excited. The church people of anybody should rejoice when others come to know Jesus, when they're in, into the kingdom of God, when their sins are forgiven, when more people are one to his kingdom outsiders were finding their way into the family we should rejoice but instead in Jesus time they griped and they complained oh do you know she used to be a prostitute Ooh, how can Jesus talk to her he's the one she should be talking to that's who we are no matter somebody's status we welcome them in all right so what for us two things to take home today first Live like you're living in the kingdom of God. Take all these things, we're talking about the kingdom of God, and live today like you're in his kingdom. Jesus, this is what Jesus is trying to get us to do. He's trying to get us to understand. He taught us in the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. God, let what happens up there happen down here. Let it happen in my life. But that doesn't just magically appear to your neighbor. You bring it to your neighbor. So love, welcome people in, uh, not considering them less than you. Jesus was a continual servant throughout all of his life. He served everybody. His disciples, he taught them servanthood. Live today like you're living in the kingdom of God. Second thing is this. Consider how much God loves others and love them like he does. 1 John 4, 8 through 11. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to an atone, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We're commanded to love like God does. Can you imagine when he sees somebody who denies him, someone who wants nothing to do with him, the, the people that he gave his entire life to, that, that he uh, gave himself for, that he taught, that they deny him? Can you imagine the desperation in his life, in his, in his heart, to get them back? A long time ago, a, a pastor friend of mine, his prayer was, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Break my heart for what breaks yours. When I see someone who is far from you, let my soul be moved to passion over them. Are we desperate to see the lost come to know Jesus? Just go back to the story we read. The widow who lost the money, the coins, and then she cleaned the whole house. She's desperate to find them. Are we that desperate for lost people? Or have we become part of the fabric of society that that type of stuff doesn't move us as much? Because if we are to be a part of the movement that God has called us to, then this is how we'll be. We will be desperate to see people come into his kingdom. <laughs> like the woman who lost the coin, my prayer is that we will become desperate. That we will become desperate. You know, I think why this moves me so much is because at one time in my life, I was the lost coin. And somebody cared enough about me to find me. So I wonder today how many of us watching or here in person are the coin or how many of us know somebody who is the lost coin and will we be the person to find them will we be the person desperate to join in God's desperation to help them come to know the kingdom of God we've got to be desperate God this morning as we
as we begin to embark on this idea of a movement that you have called us to participate in. And in some ways, we are pioneering that movement new and afresh in our own areas, in our own lives. I pray that you would help us to be kingdom-minded. Teach us more and more each day what your kingdom looks like. Help us to become desperate to find people that are lost. Because each one of us here today and those and everybody who's watching, at one point we were the lost coin. <laughs> Sometime. So we need your help. Help us to change the way we view people. Help us to change the way we view the world. Let us see the kingdom first in all we do. In Jesus' name I pray these things.